Welcome back to Get Paid for Your Pet. My today's guest is Avery Call. She is the founder of the Short Term Rental Shop, and she's also the author of the Short Term Rental Long Term Wealth Book, uh, a book on, uh, on that you can find on Amazon that uh, that's done really, really well. Um, and uh, she is uh, the Short Term Rental Shop is the leading, I would say, the leading real estate. Uh, brokerage uh, that focuses on short-term rentals. She manages uh, and owns and manages a, a total of 250 doors herself. Um, so I'm super excited uh, to have you on the show, Avery. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have a little bit of a celebrity on the show today, at least a celebrity in the short-term rental space, right? Well, no, I feel like you're the celebrity and I'm going <laughs> to uh, be a little sentimental for a minute. Um, before I had any real estate, before I even was a licensed real estate agent and I was making $35,000 a year, I used to listen to your podcast on my runs every day, trying to figure out what I could do to get out of my corporate job. So I really owe a lot of my success as a real estate investor and short-term rental host to you. Um, I've been listening for a very, very long time and I'm a super fan and I really appreciate all of your content because you were you were first. There was there was no other education on short term rentals other than this podcast for a really long time, and I really appreciate it. Awesome! Well, that's amazing to hear. I really appreciate that. Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, well, I mean, you've you've done a pretty incredible job with uh, with everything. I was doing a little bit of research, and you know the uh, the success that you've seen is, is is really amazing. So, congratulations on that. There's a lot that I uh, want to dive into, but let me. Um, Obviously, we're going to start. We're going to talk about uh, investing in shorter rentals, right? That, that's what you specialize uh, in. Um, so before we before we dive into like the you know the specifics, I wanted to shape kind of like the the current climate, the current environment that we're in, because I feel like we're in a very interesting environment. So what I've actually done is I uh, I've collected a couple data points that I just want to quickly go through before we dive into it. So I'm going to share my screen for the people that are, are uh, watching this on YouTube. Uh, they'll be able to, to see that. And uh, I'll do my best to kind of explain what we're looking at on the screen. But essentially, I looked up uh, four um, data points. I want to start off with the 30-year the US fixed mortgage rate. Um, if we look at a graph over the last 23 years, we can see that uh, at the start of this century, um, interest rates were uh, uh, slightly above 7.5%. Then they started coming down. They kind of hoovered between 5 and 6.5 uh, for, let's say, 2003 all the way to 2009, 2010 when the financial crisis hit. Then they started coming down all the way to 3.5 around 2013. And then they've been kind of going up and down in the 35 to 5% range until uh, it came down to below 3% in, uh, in 2021. Uh, started going up a little bit, but then really started taking off in 2022. And now we're back pretty much at the level uh, where we started at this century, um, close to 7.5%. So it's, it's been a pretty strong uh, uh, straight line to the to the top here in the last like uh, 
couple of years. So that's one data point. I'm sure like everybody who's listening is aware that interest rates are pretty high. The second graph that we're looking at here is the S&P Case-Shiller US National Home Price Index, one of the major index indices to, to kind of get an idea of our, where home prices are. And what we can see is that since uh, 2000, home prices have uh, pretty much like tripled. Um, of, of course, there's a lot of inflation there that we have to take into account. But what's really interesting to see is that they, uh, the prices kind of topped out in 2022. And as interest rates have, have gone up from below 3% to now above 7%, you would expect a bit of a, a da downward pressure on the house prices, but we're not really seeing that. We, we do see a slight, uh, a slight dip, but it's, 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 nothing, it's nothing major really. Um, the third data point is uh, real GDP, so uh, gross domestic project product, which is a, a measure that's often used to kind of get a gauge of like what the economy is doing. For 2023, um, the the government is projecting a uh, increase of 0.1%, which pretty much flat. Um, compare that to I think average uh, GDP growth uh, for the last hundred years or so is probably somewhere around like three or four percent so we're not seeing uh we're not expecting a lot of growth in the economy and then the last uh, chart that i pulled up is uh u.s vacation rental performance for the last six months this is data provided by key data um and what we're seeing is that occupancy uh so far this year has been uh slightly below 2021 2022 levels not a huge huge uh difference so Definitely don't want to uh, pretend that there's an Airbnb bust or anything like that, but there is a little bit of a slowdown. Notably, we're still considerably above uh, 2019 levels. Um, so those four data points, right? We have uh, kind of not record high interest rates, but at least like for the last you know 20, 25 years, we have slowing uh, GDP growth. Uh, we see that house, house prices have not come down very much, and we see that demand uh, for short-term rentals, or at least occupancy, is kind of cooling off a little bit. So with that in mind, my first question is, is right now a, a good time to invest in short-term rentals? It's a really good question and kind of a nuanced one. So it really depends on the market, uh, what exactly, because you know real estate as a whole, whether it's prices, whether it's um, uh, the amount of people buying is really more market or regional specific than it, it. you really can go off of like a national average. Like what's happening in Los Angeles, California right now is not what's happening in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So you kind of have to look at it on a market by market basis and see um, you know, what that particular market is doing, really drill into the data of that market. Now, that being said, uh, in terms of interest rate and prices, so there's always going to be a reason not to buy. Uh, in 2020, we saw uh, some of our clients saying, I'm going to wait until prices go down before I buy. Uh, and then now prices have gone down some, but the interest rates have gone up so far that the payment is actually higher on the lower price property. So they've been waiting now for over three years and not have, haven't bought anything. So there's always going to be a reason not to buy. Um, <laughs> The thing about now, the what's good about the higher interest rates is that, you know, two years ago, we would have to tell our clients, yeah, you're going to have to offer $100,000 over asking on every single property because there are 50 people offering on every single property. The interest rates were so low that everybody could get one of these things. Now, the good thing is we can tell our clients, hey, 
you can actually be a real estate investor now. You can negotiate. You can offer under asking. You can ask for seller credits. You have time to breathe and think about, okay, let me analyze this property. Is this a good buy before you have to offer? Because everything was going under contract in 30 seconds, two years ago. Now you have time to figure all those things out before you offer. Um, so the, the weaker hands, the weaker investor hands have kind of been shaken out of the market in that sense. So you can get a lower purchase price. You can get a better deal on a lot of things more so than you could a few years ago. So the actual asking prices haven't come down a whole lot, but in terms of closing percent of the asking price that it's closing for, it is going down just a little bit. But the interest rates are also affecting the sales inventory because sellers don't really want to sell their properties that they have a low interest rate on that they will then either have to 1031 exchange or, or you know buy something else at a higher interest rate. So it's causing this kind of a stalemate in the market where buyers don't want to pay the same prices as a few years ago or just slightly lower at these over double interest rates because it doesn't really make sense. And then the sellers don't really want to sell anything because they don't want to become those buyers that are now having to pay a higher interest rate. So it's caused what we're, a lot of the real estate publications are calling a shadow demand. So it's different than 2008 because there's a lot of people that have plenty of money to finance these properties just sitting on the sidelines waiting for one thing to tweak, whether that's interest rates or purchase prices. And we actually did a little experiment on this with a, a property a few weeks ago. So um, we had a client who's bought a lot of stuff with us. Uh, he just finished building a million dollar property and he found something else he wanted to buy really quick. And he said, I want to list this kind of low just because I want to get it out the door because I really want to buy this other opportunity at the beach. And we said, okay, we'll do that. So we listed it for about 5% lower than the comps. And normally, you know, things are sitting on the market for about a month now, maybe a little bit longer. We had at listing at just 5% under market, 13 offers the first day, three of them were cash over asking. So all those buyers that have all this money that are just waiting to buy swooped in and appeared when we listed 5% below comps. So I think a lot of people are just waiting for one thing to tip in their direction. Now, there are a lot of opportunities to buy right now um, from people who unfortunately got in the game at the height of everything. Interest rates were really low right after COVID, and maybe they weren't looking at owning a short-term rental as the business that it actually is. They were like, oh, cool, I can afford this. Let me tell my friends I got this cool house on the beach. I'll just throw it up on Airbnb when I'm not using it. Now that the market is kind of normalizing and we are having to run it as a business again, a lot of those people who just kind of had it as like a fun hobby thing, those are the ones who are seeing like the biggest decline and having the hardest time and wanting to sell. So there's a lot of opportunity with those types of sellers too to be able to swoop in and grab a few of those properties that it just wasn't for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's two points that you made uh, that I want to go back to. Number one is, you know, if we go back to that uh, to that graph that I was showing on on the development of, of, of real estate prices over the last, let's take the last, you know, 10 years or so, right? Because since, let's say since 2012, prices have been going up. So if, if you, in 2012, if you would have, uh, had the mentality of like, okay, well, you know what? Like, I feel like prices should could be coming down. I'm going to wait a little bit. You would have been waiting 13 years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> before, before you get into it because prices have just been going up. Right. So I think that's a, that's a good point. Like 
my philosophy is that I think it's I think it's wise for people to get to own real estate as early as possible in your life because yes things can go up and down but over if you look at the history uh you know over a time span of your entire life uh real estate has pretty much in every case have been a wealth generator for for anybody right um if you look at you know I look at my parents I look at you know my grandparents like and 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 real estate is just always a big driver of wealth so that's that's a good point it's like you don't want to wait forever you want to you want to just find something that makes sense and just get get involved in real estate investing as early as you can because it's going to pay off in the long term right um and then uh the second point that you made is um yeah it's the it's definitely from what i see as well it's like when when i eric and i bought our our property in idlewild that was two years ago and like you mentioned it was like everything that we would look at i mean if if you could find it on loopnet or or zillow or something like that it was probably already gone you know what i mean like you just had you had to get in like right when even before it was listed or you know almost like before the the seller even thought about selling uh to to really like find uh find these deals and now it's like yeah you see you see things have been on the market for a couple months there's some negotiation room there's some you know creative financing options that you that you could explore so i think uh i think those those are some really good points um so <clears throat> You already mentioned a little bit, like a big question that people ha ask and, and have is like, why are prices not coming down? Now, you, you already mentioned um, it's, you know, one reason is that there's just not a lot of people who are motivated to sell right now, right? If you have a 3% mortgage, like why, why would you sell, uh, why would you sell your home, right? Um, and also there's, is, is there also a case of that, there's just a shortage of housing in general and and that kind of keeps keeps the prices up as well it does it does and i don't see as much in my personal business because we don't do we don't really operate in any we do well we do operate in some like metro ish markets but most of our markets are true vacation markets so for example i live in 30a which is near panama city beach florida near destin florida and there's only 10,000 of us who live here full time. And if short-term rentals just disappeared, there would not be enough primary homeowners to fill all of the houses, all the vacation rentals that we need all these tourists to come stay in for the community to survive. So, you know, we don't deal in many markets where there are a lot of primary homeowners, but in terms of just general supply, it is very low because like you said, um, uh, people aren't really motivated to sell right this second. I think everybody's in kind of like a wait and see mode. Um, so there's, since there's not really many, much motivation, there's not a lot of supply, which is keeping the prices high. Now you mentioned that, you know, obviously there's huge differences between markets, right? Like one market might be doing really well. One market might not be doing really well. Um, do you, when you look at, like your your personal investments right are there certain markets that you're looking at or is it really like any market you can find a great deal i think any market where you can find a great deal is is worth looking at i do 
for my personal short-term investments. I've got long-terms and multifamily also, but for my short-terms, I do like to keep them in vacation markets because, again, not a lot of primary homeowners, not a lot of hotel competition areas where it's been the normal thing for guests to go stay in a short-term rental, whether it's a beach house, lake house, cabin, anything like that, um, where that's been the thing that tourists have done for decades instead of hotels. Um, those are the areas that I like to focus on. I don't like areas like we did have an, an office in Nashville for a little while because I used to live there. And the problem with Nashville is that up until 10 years ago, all the tourism that came into Nashville was staying in hotels. And then short-term rentals started happening. People started making a lot of money on them. And then it started taking more market share and taking more market share. Hotel conglomerates start to notice this. They start to get irritated. And then they start plugging themselves into city council meetings and things like that. And then what ends up between primary homeowners and hotel conglomerates, those are the two biggest drivers of anti-short-term rental regulation. So we try to stick to those true vacation markets, although there are true vacation markets that have anti-short-term rental regulation. Um, we just try to stay out of metro markets with a few exceptions. Sure. Now, you know, restrictive short-term rental regulations is, is an interesting topic because on the one hand, you would initially you would say, okay, well, I want a market where there's where there are not a lot of restrictions when it comes to short-term rentals. But at the same time, once you're in there, it also offers some protection against an ever-increasing supply, right? Mm -hmm. So, so th I guess there's a there's a pro and a con when it comes to when it comes to regulations. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think regulations are overall a good thing because, you know, there has to be some kind of organization. Like who is somebody going to call if there's a neighbor is going to call if there's like a problem or somebody's parked in their parking space? There has to be a process for that. And people have to know how to do that. Um, I, I think that it is good. Like, I mean, I live, I'm a good example. I live in a vacation market. I make most of my income off of vacation rentals, but I still don't want one opening next door to me. I'm trying to raise my kids. I don't want a bunch of people in and out. Like I want it quiet and the same neighbor forever. So um, I think it is important to kind of keep how, uh, primary homeowner housing and vacation rentals separate as best you can in those big markets where it's not dependent on tourism, like in Nashville, for example. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that regulations overall are a good thing because they can protect you against saturation. What I don't like about Nashville, for example, is that they will change them after like you'll you'll get under contract on something that is legal. And now the city council members will go, they'll go in, they passed a, a regulation a while back where they can go into a zone and just change it and downzone it to where it can't allow short-term rentals. And then everybody who owns a short-term rental there is kind of screwed. They may grandfather it, but then they can't sell it as a short-term rental. They probably paid for it as a short-term rental, so it was more expensive. So it's just, I don't want to get into all those politics with mine. Um, so yeah. uh, regulations overall, a good thing. You just kind of have to know what they are and what the city's or county's appetite is in terms of being them finding short-term rentals to be a good thing, like a tax revenue driver, or if they find them to be a nuisance. You kind of just have to mm. vibe check it a little bit. So it's almost like you kind of have to kind of predict the future a little bit. Right? It's not so much about like, what are the regulations right now? It's more like, how are they going to change in the future? Because to your point, if you, you buy a short rental and then, you know, six months later, uh, it's, uh, there's a new regulation and you're not allowed to do it anymore or, 
you know, even if you're grandfathered in, that's going to affect you. Um, so I, I guess you have to look a little bit into the future and get to really get to know the the community and really get to know the uh, the people who are in charge a little bit and kind of pick read their brain of like, okay, what are these people going to do in the next like you know five years or so? So that's a, that's a, I guess that's the tricky part, huh? Um, so what 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 are some advice for people who are looking uh, to invest in short rentals? Uh, in the current climate to, with the high interest rates and with the market cooling down a little bit, like if we still want to get like a good our return on investment, like what, what are some tips for, for those who are looking? To look for properties where you can add amenities or add extra bedrooms or anything where you can add revenue drivers. So for example, I bought a beach house in Cape Sandblast at the height of everything. And um, I was able to get a really good deal on it because I paid 75000 under asking at the height of 50 offers on everything because the listing agent took really terrible pictures. They were dark. He only posted like three of them. So most investors were just scrolling past. I actually opened the listing and saw, man, this was only built in 2019. It's 2021. This is only a two-year-old house. Let me go look at this. This is probably actually cute. These pictures are terrible though. And it was. Uh, I bought it as a three bedroom, but the listing agent also didn't disclose that there was a four, like a utility room that had a bathroom off of it that all we had to do was finish, put flooring, paint it and finish out the bathroom and, and make it nice. And now we have a four bedroom rather than a three. So uh, finding any areas where you can add not only appraisal value, but where you can add revenue driving factors. So whether that's another bedroom whether that's a little putt-putt course, whether, you know, depending on where you are, it might be something different. It doesn't have to be a really expensive thing. Um, one of our agents in Panama City Beach, Florida, uh, she <laughs> just recently added a snow cone bar to her house. So that, and it's actually improved her revenue. So when I say you need to do things to set yourself apart in terms of decor and revenue drivers and adding amenities, it doesn't have to be thousands and thousands of dollars. It can just be small things that guests will go, oh, that's cool. I want to stay there, whether it's a mural wall or something like that. So, um, you know, maybe buying a property, you're looking more for the potential now than the deal that's just laying around that's already got this amazing cash flow. Um, you're more now, since short-term rentals have really established themselves as an asset class, you're looking for opportunities more so than existing cash flow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that and that what, that's what makes short-term rentals so fascinating, um, in my opinion. Because if you if you if you compare it to like a long-term rental, like if I tell you, for example, in your market, like if I tell you, like okay, a two-bedroom, you know, thousand square feet, uh, one bathroom, you know, uh, little little backyard, you could probably guess the long-term rental rate within a with a pretty high uh, a sense of accuracy, right? But if I would tell you the same thing for a short rental, then you know that there's much of a wider range of what that place could do as a short term rental because it depends on so much more than just the size of the home and the amount of bedrooms, right? It's really like the experience that you're bringing what what the what the guests will will pay for. So that's that's why I feel like you know, maybe right now is actually a really good time to short, invest in short-term rentals because what's, what's the alternative, right? Because with long-term rental, yeah, you could do a couple things to maybe increase the monthly rent a little bit, but there's not really that much you can do, right? 
Right, right. And I mean, I'm shopping for, I mean, we're always looking to add more properties to our portfolio, whether short term or single family, long term or multifamily. And they're talking about, oh, you know, there's going to be this big multifamily crash and we're not seeing it. Like there are, there are no deals out there that make any sense for multifamily and there's nothing you can do. Like you said, I can buy an apartment building, but the rent is going to be what the rent is every month until those people move out. And then I can redo it. Whereas short term, the rent's going to be different dependent on how you manage it, what you change about it, amenities you offer. So there's a way to immediately boost income instead of having to wait six months, a year, two years for somebody to move out of a unit. Yeah, makes sense. Um, when it comes to financing, let's let's talk about financing, right? Because you know, with interest rates being like seven, seven and a half, close to seven and a half percent now, um, what are some other what are some other ways? That, that we can finance at the deals? So I have always been a fan and I know a lot of people will listen to a lot of real estate investing podcasts and they hear all these buzzwords like private money, hard money, all these things. Uh, the easiest and lowest interest way to finance a property is usually with a conventional investment loan. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that the minimum amount down on a conventional investment loan is 15%. A lot of people think it's, it's 20 or 25, but it's actually 15 so um, you can make that go pretty far. Uh, other ways to get the interest rate down, you can do a 15-year loan instead of a 30. Um, if you ask a seller to contribute towards your closing costs, rather than using that money to pay your closing costs, you can actually contribute it to buying down your interest rate sum, which depending on the math on that, which I don't have any numbers in front of me to just give an example. But a lot of times like a $5,000 credit towards buying down your interest rate will actually give you a lower monthly payment than if you'd gotten $5,000 off the purchase price. Uh, so those are some other ways of you want to get really creative. Uh, the whole pace more be subject to financing movement is really big right now, um, where you're basically kind of taking over someone's existing loan. A lot of people are really into that in the investing world right now because a lot of people that they're buying from have these 2%, 3% loans. Now the interest rate is in this high sixes, lower sevens. And uh, so they want to take that over. So they're not having to get this high interest debt. But there are some things that you have to be really careful with on that because you're not actually there. You as the seller are signing over the title of the property with, but you're still holding, technically holding the, the note. So uh, I mean, so holding the debt on that note. So a little tricky. A lot of people are super into that. I personally am probably not doing that myself, but I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention because that is a big movement going on right now. Pace is a super smart guy. I haven't like gotten into uh, the details on that. But if you guys are interested in learning about that, he just had a book come out recently that's pretty good. What's the name of the book? Uh, you know, I can't remember, <laughs> but I can find it. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, that, that's going to be my next question, actually, is if somebody has a 3% mortgage, and I can imagine, because that's the mortgage is the, is the asset. It's such an asset right now, right? I mean, yeah. if you calculate, if you just, let's just say, like, compare a 3% mortgage to a 6% mortgage, well, the, the difference is only 3%, but the mortgage payments are double, right? So if you look at that over a 30 year uh mm -hmm. time horizon that's like a huge amount of money right so yeah. the, you kind of answered my my next question of like how 
how how can we do that? Like, is it possible if I own a three percent mortgage, right, on a home, and you want to buy my home, can I can I just give you that mortgage and say, okay, you, you know, where you, you're going to pay what I'm asking, but you know what, like, uh, you don't have to get a new mortgage. Like, I'll transfer my mortgage to you. Like, so that that's actually possible. Well, not. In so many words. So the name of Pace's book is called Wealth Without Cash, and it'll answer these questions better than I can. So you're not actually able to transfer the mortgage to the new person. You're, the mortgage is still in your name, and they're making the payment. So that's where it's a little hairy um, on it. But I've seen a few people be able to get out of like some of these people who get distressed, who bought at the height did not run numbers correctly and now just really want to get out at any cost. I've seen that be a good solution for distressed sellers, but it's not, I mean, if you can get regular financing and the numbers make sense um, at the interest rate on that, that you're able to get it to, I recommend doing that. I mean, I, and most sellers aren't going to agree to it unless they are distressed. So if I'm going to just sell something that I own, I do not want to be wrapped up with you for the rest of my life because I'm holding this note and you have to call me and ask me tax questions or whatever. Uh, I just want to take my money and go. So uh, it's it takes a very specific type of seller for that subject to financing to work, but they're out there. But definitely check out Pace's book because I don't know nearly mm-hmm. enough about it to be able to uh, to answer any questions on it. But he definitely does. What are some other options? Like you know, I'm trying to think uh, when it comes to seller financing. I, I can imagine some people might say, "Hey, you know what? I'd love to buy your home." Um, right now the interest rate is so high, like I'm not going to be able to afford what you are asking for, but you know, is there a way that we can figure out a deal? Like, let's say maybe I say, Hey, you know what? Like, let me, let me manage it for you, um, for the next two years or so. And then as interest rates, if interest rates come down, then we'll agree that I will purchase it from you or, or let me, let me give you some cash and then you know i'll you you get like a the the profit that i'm making as i'm as i'm taking it over are there any kind of constructions that you see that 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 work i have seen a few people try the the management contract uh manage to purchase type deal um haven't seen obviously since it's only been something that's really popped up in the last few months slash year haven't seen any of that actually come to fruition but I mean, that's definitely an option. Um, again, it's going to take, I want to set the expectation that it it will take more no's before you get a yes on something like that. So it's definitely going to be a volume game if that's the route you want to go and asking um, asking sellers about this. But eventually you might find one. So I mean, it's, it's worth doing if there's, if you're not able to get just conventional or I mean, there's also commercial, there's always commercial financing. So DSCR loans where they're not, uh, they're not qualifying you based on your income or your debt to income ratio. Uh, they're basing the approval of the loan on how much the property will make. So uh, those are pretty cool options too. They typically will have a higher interest rate than conventional will, but in some cases that makes sense. They will, um, most of them, not all of them will have a prepayment penalty. So you have to be planning to hold it for a few years at least. So that's an option too. Uh, so it just kind of depends on what your personal financial profile looks like and what, you know, what you want your next three to five years to look like. Hmm. One other uh, f- question that comes to mind is, you know, if we look, if we look like two years ago when interest rates, interest rates was like 3%, right? It didn't make any sense to buy a home with cash. 
right? Because you're competing with people who can get a 3% mortgage. Like they're going to, you know, you're just not, it's hard to compete against those people with, with your, with your cash, right? Whereas, whereas now uh, it might actually make more sense, right? To, to purchase a home just with full cash down. Like, is that something that you, you see as well? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're able to, to buy a house cash and then just wait for the rates to go down before you finance it, that can be a good option. And, you know, you're just going to make more cash flow in the meantime, but your cash is going to be tied up. Or maybe you can only pull out, maybe you go ahead and refinance it, but you only pull out a quarter of your money or half uh, rather than that full 65 or 75%. Uh, so that can be an option too. If you have the cash to do that, that would keep your mortgage low and your interest rate be a lower a percentage of a lower number. So um, that's definitely an option. But then, you know, the problem there is your cash is tied up. So there's only so many times you can do that. Yeah, I'm also thinking, um, does it make sense in, versus getting a mortgage? Does it make sense to to go out and find find investors who have cash on the sideline that they need to apply? Yeah, partnerships are always a good way to go if you don't, um, if you're not able to do it yourself. I did one partnership uh, and one, our first, our third and fourth deal, we had a partnership because we were out, uh, we couldn't qualify for any more loans because we were out of debt to income ratio. And he put the down payment down and we did all the management, et cetera, and we split it 50-50. So that can be a really great way to go. I will say, I see a lot of new investors get a little carried away with that. And they're just going on Facebook groups looking for partners and they'll take, I'll take on as many partners as, as y'all can throw at me. And then all of a sudden you've got a hundred partners and you've got a hundred people to answer to and don't actually own anything yourself. So be strategic about how many partners you take on and how many properties you do. It's not about how many and how fast it's about the quality. Um, we eventually had our partner buy us out just because we were like, okay, we're doing all the work on these two properties. We have enough money now that we can go buy our own properties. So it doesn't make sense to be putting in the time on these two when we could put them into two that we own outright or not outright, but by ourselves. So we just said, Hey, do you want to buy us out? And he said, yep. So he bought us out. We went and bought our own two. Everything was amicable and wonderful. And our partnership went perfectly, but sometimes that's not the case. So you want to make sure again, strategic quality of partners, not quantity. It's not a race. It is get rich slow, not fast. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, just make good decisions is all. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think about what's your vision of the future? When it comes down to the climate, right? Like some, uh, let, let's go back to those four data points that we that we started the podcast with, right? With high interest rates, uh, we have you know slow economic growth, we have high uh, house prices, and we have you know slowdown in bookings. Like, what 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 are your expectations over the, over the next like three to five years? Well, I'm certainly no economist. I made a C in macroeconomics at University of Texas. So I did pass though. Um, so I can't really comment too much on that other than the fact that like the interest rates are as high as they are because the economy is in a high pressure situation. They've got to fix the inflation stuff. They've got to fix a lot of things that were a result of loosening everything up so everybody could get through COVID. So, you know, if, if everything was kind of at equilibrium and we didn't have this high pressure situation and the rates were this high, I might say something different. I think they're going to start to come down next year as the pressure releases. And uh, hopefully they will achieve that soft landing that they're looking for. Um, 
but I do think they're going to come down. It's also an election year. And I think that uh, that will open up buying again. I think it might be a little bit of a frenzy at first because of, I me- because of that shadow demand that I mentioned, but I think it'll even out. And I think that what we're seeing with the short-term rental industry as a whole on the booking side is like we're seeing a settling in of short-term rentals as an actual asset class. So up until I would say COVID, it was still looked at as like a, this is kind of a weird kind of crazy thing to do in the real estate investing world. Um, You know, I remember going to local real estate investor meetups in 2015 and saying short-term rental or Airbnb, and they would laugh at me and say, because they were like, that's for like kids renting couches in college and stuff like that. Um, But now those same people are buying and have bought short-term rentals because they're like, oh, wait a minute. I've seen a lot of other people do really well with this. Maybe there's something to this. So now we're an actual asset class and not this weird thing that college kids do. And years ago, the early adopters, like, yeah, there were every single deal, thousands of deals just laying around on the MLS, just waiting to do 80% cash on cash return. Now that it's caught on, it's an actual asset class. I, I really liken it to buying multifamily apartment buildings. So when you're buying apartment buildings, which have been around for a long time, nobody's ever said apartment buildings are saturated. No, they're just an asset class and they've been around for a really long time. And um, short-term rentals are becoming that. But when you're buying an apartment building, you're not really ever looking for one that has great cash flow already because they don't exist. They're not laying around on LoopNet or Crexy with great cash flow. What you're looking for is an apartment building that needs some updates that as people move out, you can update each unit and raise that rent two, three, four hundred dollars, however much it is to get it up to market rent for a nice unit. And then you're increasing that income, which then increases the cap rate, which then increases the price of the property. Um, So now it's kind of the same thing with short terms. Those deals with the crazy cash flow aren't just laying around, but you're looking for the opportunity, just like in the established asset class of multifamily, you're looking for the opportunity. Same thing now, established asset class of short-term rentals, you're looking for opportunity because those major crazy cash flow deals, they're not just laying around anymore. So you do have to actually be an investor now and do the work to get it to where it needs to be to get the cash flow to where you want it to be. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just read, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago or something that, uh, that the inflation has actually fallen now to 3%, uh, which is the lowest level that we've seen in two years. Um, and 3% is a bit more, you know, like that's a bit more uh, manageable, I, I would say, right, than like a year ago when it was like 7 8%. So uh, we, we do see the inflation coming down. The question is, is it going to stay here or is it going to go back up? Um, but it, it could be a sign that uh, that the pressure to keep for the Federal Reserve to keep those interest rate highs is coming off a little bit, right? So right. it's going to be interesting to see because, as you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see when those when those prices are coming down um, or those interest rates are coming down. If like if that's going to you know ha- cause an, another like frenzy, uh, if you will, and, and and we go back to those two years ago when you see a property and it's like you know within a day it's gone. Um, so I think either way, it's going to be a very interesting time. Uh, the next next three to five years, it's it's always hard to predict, of course. But you know what, like. <clears throat> I always think um, 
you know, versus versus waiting on the sidelines and waiting for the perfect environment to to you know to make your move. I think it's better to just focus on like how do I, where can I bring the most value, and how can I create, uh, especially in the short term rental space, like how can I create a world class experience? Because regardless what the circumstances are, if you focus on that. You know, it's my belief that you're you're gonna see you're gonna see a good return on investment if you aim to be like a top ten percent operator and really really uh, focus on you know understanding who's your who's your customer who's your guest avatar and like how do we create a world class experience for this person. So I, I want to finish up this podcast with picking your brain a little bit on you know how do you actually create a top performing short term rental? Like what do we need to focus on? Well. You definitely have to focus on decor a lot more than you used to. Uh, you want to make sure that your property is updated. Uh, but the you know the main thing I think with making sure that you are a really great operator is answering the questions before the guests can ask them. So whether that's having a really nice digital guidebook or just having a really really thorough or combination of both, really thorough listing to where they don't even you've already answered all these questions that they can't even think of anything they need to ask you because the communication is the most important. Um, like I don't love when I'm coming into a place, it's like eight or nine o'clock. I've got two little kids. I'm not thinking about, Oh crap. Do they have a Keurig coffee maker? Or do they have a drip coffee maker. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, crap, I didn't even think about this. The kids were freaking out. They were, it was, it was late. Um, so I, you know, I want to know these things up front. So I know, okay, I've got the right kind of coffee, which is very important for mom in the morning. Um, you know, so making sure that you, that there's not even a thing you, that they could ask you because you have given them so much information. Your photos are great. They know they're coming into, and it, it really, they know it creates a feeling of trust and likability when you've already covered all of those bases for them when they're checking into your property. Like, oh, well, they've already told me everything I need to know. I feel really good about checking into this place. And, you know, the vibe when they check in is going to end up affecting your review. So you want to keep that vibe good and make them feel very taken care of. And I think that starts with good communication. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, there's a saying in, uh, in sales, like uh, any, any unknowns, like any question marks that the buyer has, like leads to not purchasing right so to your point like uh, and i love that you mentioned the 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 coffee machine um because you know one thing that i've always done is whenever a question whenever i get a question from an airbnb guest i'll answer the question but then the very next thing that i do is i go i go look at my listing i go look at my guidebook and i ask myself like where am i providing this information because it's 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 much better to prevent the the question because because then the person might just book, right? Like to your point, the coffee machine, we've actually had that question come up in, in the past of like, what kind of coffee machine do you have? And, and, you know, I never thought of that, right? It's like, well, I have a coffee machine, like I mean, coffee is the same, right? But no, it's not the case, mm -hmm. right? So having, so having, you know, answering these questions before they are answered is, is, is very important when it comes to conversion. Um, but to your point as well, it's like it saves time. Right. If we don't have to answer a question, that saves saves time on our end as well. So, love that, um, Avery. Thank you so much for for joining. This is uh, super interesting uh, to get your thoughts on on all this stuff. Let uh, let everybody know where they can uh, they can find you if they if they want to work with you. Yeah, we would love to have you. 
Uh, you can find us on all social media at The Short Term Shop, or if you want to buy with us in any of our 20 markets, we'll teach you how to manage it for free. Uh, and you can sign up. We've got a Q&A every Thursday, live Q&A. You can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Anything else, you can find us on our website. It's theshorttermshop.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that is the end of today's podcast, episode number 579. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. And again, if you want to uh, see the, the graphs that we we're kind of going through, uh, you can uh, you can watch all of the podcasts on YouTube, right? Just go to YouTube, get paid for your pad. If you'll find it. And then you can, uh, you can actually watch the episodes instead of just listening. So with that said, uh, thanks for uh, listening and have a great weekend. And we'll be back uh, next week. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.